Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Your premium North American rugby podcast. Growing rugby one fan at a time. Welcome back, Rugby fans. It's yet time to be able to join us for another phenomenal season here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And of course, some familiar fans will know these faces. Mine, of course, Ty Sapper Brago. Joining me is, of course, Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And returning for the umpteenth time, we bring to us John <laughs> Allen. Welcome back, my friend. It's, it's like his rugby never... career, man. He doesn't he doesn't hang him up. He just keeps coming back for more. Yeah, yeah. Once, once you think I'm out, they keep pulling me back in. <laughs> I think <laughs> exactly. I heard that somewhere. I'm not quite sure. Will never ever say die and it, here for another round. <laughs> it's funny because John and I were were going back and forth probably what a week or so ago, and and he goes, Yeah, I'm hanging him up. I'm like, Yeah, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not hanging him up. <laughs> right he kind of had that 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 yeah that wing. <laughs> Listen, I'm telling. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the state of the MLR. But I'm telling. If, if teams are still desperate enough that someone is calling me again, we need to do something about our development. <laughs> yeah, any chance you want to share who that might be? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you unfamiliar with the name John Cullen, let me remind you that this guy is a former Eagle. Uh, Utah Warriors, and more recently, you may have seen him wearing a green jersey. Well, Rob ruined it for a second. It's a Hounds jersey, but he was showing us a different color, uh, which, by the way, is a great one there. And uh, you had a successful season, their inaugural season as well. Um, so a great opportunity to be able to continue your rugby. And we're going to continue it here with you today on the Rugby Rant because we've got exciting stuff lined up for our fans as we dive in today's episode, episode 158. More importantly, we're going to be highlighting some of the news from around the rugby realms in just a moment. But then the final part of the show, the main act, so to speak, will to be talking more about the addition of a new franchise, or can we even call it that, is the question, the Charlotte Hawks, also a derivative of the USA Hawks, the development side for USA Rugby. We'll talk more about that in the coming moments of this show, episode 158, and we'll be back in just a moment to kick it off with Around the Pitch. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so gentlemen, you know, and the fans at home should know, this is where we highlight something important for everybody to pay attention to, something that may have been in the press, something that didn't necessarily get the highlights that it deserved, or maybe it's just something you thought was interesting. It's your moment to share with fans what you think is important. And to kick us off, we hand the honors over to our guest, John Cullen. Take it away, my friend. Sweet. Thanks, Ty. Um... I don't know if it falls into the obscure, didn't get enough press, but I think it's very important. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that watch the show or involved that haven't heard of it. But the Six Nations full contact documentary on Netflix that's coming up. I'm sure all of you that are directly going to consume this podcast have heard of it. But the news or the challenges, tell your friends, invite people over to watch Netflix. Do something like if you're trying to coax them into a game. Coax them into a Netflix night. Suggest it to them. Oh, I don't know what to watch on Netflix. I've watched everything. Well, have you watched this? No, you haven't because you haven't even heard of rugby. So watch it. That's the challenge. <laughs> it probably gets enough pub, but tell your friends. Yeah. I love it. John's always like, you know, he's a, a combative guy. He's like, no, you haven't heard of it. Go watch it. Do it now. I love it. You know, that's passion, man. That's passion. Well, it's a, it's a great point, though, because I think it's a uh, – what – the six station starts in February 2nd. Right. So right. I imagine, I got to imagine that it's going to be coming out right in February to kind of partner or pair along with, or maybe sure. the week okay. prior to as an, as a lead up to the six nations. So with the MLR starting a month later, what a great opportunity to start getting some of your friends that maybe have watched a game or two of club rugby, but haven't really gone to the professional game, mm-hmm. you know, get them to watch it. And if you live in one of those MLR cities, then use that to parlay and get them out right. to a match. And, and I, what I love about it, though, is, and this is something that rugby hasn't traditionally done well, and hopefully this is gets the good result, gets the content numbers up, uh, engagement numbers, I should say, and gets the minutes viewed, because it would warrant getting more stuff like the showing on Netflix or maybe Amazon or whoever the partner may be in the future. But what they, what they haven't done well is sell the story. You know, here we hope to be able to see stories of players, you know, injury woes, you know, the tale, the, the turmoil, the struggle that comes with the game day and the build up to it, right? Um, and, and this is when people really start to be captivated by the game is by connecting with the personalities inside it. Uh, and that's what this Netflix special might be the first of many able to do that. So. Yeah. Good highlight from from John. Make sure that you check it out on Netflix. It's coming out very shortly. Um, But uh, let's hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt for the next piece. Thanks. Speaking of Six Nations, this is really interesting, uh, probably a little bit more obscure than than full contact. Apparently, the Guinness Six Nations is going to require the six teams involved to have last names put on their jerseys. Apparently, so like in the Fall Nations or Autumn Nations matches, England and Scotland, I think, and Italy as well, all had their names on their jerseys. Now all six nations teams are going to have names on the back of the jerseys. And this is being done for a couple of reasons. They're obviously seeing a lot of revenue generated. Um, I think it was from like Ronaldo came back to maybe, yeah, right. Came back to Real or something like that. And it generated something like 178 million pounds in, in, in revenue generated from jersey sales. 
Uh, and obviously with rugby team, you know, with the tradition in rugby is numbers are an indication of position, not necessarily the individual player. They're trying to find a, some way to, you know, to meet that medium between tradition, but also mm-hmm. drawing new fans or casual fans into the game and getting them to identify with players. So I think it's a good opportunity. It's something that they actually did in the women's six nations in 2023, and it had some success we know that the women's Six Nations were well attended. They broke oh, yeah. uh, attendance records and they broke viewership records. So I think they're kind of trying to piggyback on some of the efforts they made during that Six Nations campaign and see if it can have a residual effect on the men's game. Let's hope it can. I love the idea. And the only thing I guess I'd say, as long as the names don't peel off and kind of <laughs> look shabby, I think it's really great. I mean, I would have, I was going to bid on a John Cullen jersey like this you know, uh, from last season, uh, cause, cause he's my boy, but, um, you know, I, I know that some, uh, the, the, his local team was bidding on it to, to put up the clubhouse. So I, I deferred to them and, and bid on JP Eloff, which, um, is actually over there. So. <laughs> well, and it, go ahead, John, jump in, please. Well, it just, it just makes sense, right? Like, we have these rugby values and it's an entire podcast about how rugby values eats rugby alive <laughs> when it comes to marketing, but yeah. kid, like a kid's going to rock or a dad's going to rock a Scotland Jersey or the, you know, everyone's going to rock an Ireland or an all blacks Jersey, but the kid wants a Finn Russell Jersey, right? The kid right. want, you know, wants an even Etzebeth Jersey, South Africa Jersey is great. It's beautiful. Right. But kid, if, if there was a Dan Carter jersey that nzr was making a a percentage off just like nfl jersey sales they'd make more than all their normal jersey sales how many michael how many michael jordan jerseys are worn around the country outside of the city of chicago a lot oh yeah well and 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 that's just it is is i know that there's i think there's a um, new zealand like throwback jersey that has loma and 11 and lomu at the top right right Right. You should, think about it. You should, be able to, you should be able to walk into any oh, I forget the name, whatever their weird one is down there. Whatever. Any shields in Australia and New Zealand and be able to get a Jonah Lomu jersey off the rack. Or uh oh, I'm gonna be rude. Uh Matt Gitto jersey off the rack. <laughs> so, what, what is Maybe you can this I heard he's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Or uh, uh, a George Gregan jersey, you should be able to get yeah. any time. Rocking it like you're rocking like an Aikman jersey. Now, well, yeah, and, 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 and I tell you, when I was playing, and I was playing lock at the mm-hmm. time, like when I just started playing, I I got an um, Australia jersey. I got a number a number five on it for John Eels because he was right. he captain that '99 side that won the the Rugby World Cup. And so, you know, I, I was like, yeah, get John Eels because he's he's a man. You know, so imagine now we add the name onto it and it kind of legitimizes the purchase of that jersey and the support of the player. Oh, yeah. You know, a moment ago, I spoke about it in regard to the Netflix production or the next Netflix special, um, that you get the narrative, you get the story, you get the persona, you get all these personalities connected not only to the jersey, the number, but then the person that owns that jersey for that moment or earns it, not necessarily owns it. But um, for a couple of years, for a couple of years there. For a couple of years there, USA, USA Rugby would have made more off a of Carlin Isles jersey than they would in all the stupid club dues that every club in this country has to pay. You might be right. 
Um, and and, and, and that would have been big outside of U.S. sales. <laughs> yeah. and they, but they did that um, with a recent iteration. I thought of they were making some jerseys with uh, you know some of the USA players on there. I was thinking about buying a Wangalewski. I mean, the only problem is you know obviously I think the jerseys were like sixty bucks for a, a, a right. you know a T-shirt you know with the name printed. I'm like eh. You know, it's a lot of money for a T-shirt. You could legitimize it for twenty or twenty-five or you know even thirty, but yeah, you know, I think that price has got to hit the sweet spot too. Very important point though too, because it's got to be accessible, right? You're not going to sell right. it if it's not priced right or it doesn't have the right appeal. And certainly, some jerseys are going to sell more than others. Absolutely, that's just the nature of it when it comes about that you've got some who have a higher prestige than other right. players. Um, I mean, if they would have had some John Cullen jerseys. They'd have freaking knocked it out of the fucking park yeah. and shit. They could have bought the first one in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gentlemen, uh, we could probably turn this one into a bit, uh, by the looks of it, but I wanted to take the opportunity to dive into one of the pieces that I also want fans to know. We spend so much time talking about USA rugby, and when we do, we highlight USA rugby itself, and we also talk about Major League rugby, but there is another great American side continuing to be able to do what they do and what they consider to be the premier cross-continental competition. That, of course, is Super Rugby Americas and the American Raptors, of which I will be at every one of the home games this season as one of the announcers. So personally, I'm going to be connected with it. I'm going to keep giving you guys the news that you need to learn about when it comes to their efforts and that cross-continental competition, which has incredible value and a wonderful potential for years to come. Um, and they're going to be kicking off this February. In fact, I think it's February 16th. I wrote my notes down here. Let me double check. That's right. February 16th against the Doggos 15. There's two Argentinian sides, one of which is the Doggos, and then the other is Pampas, which they will do on the following week, February 23rd. Those are the first two games you guys should pay attention to. There's some incredible talent uh, that is emerging through their programs there. It, of course, is housed at Rugby Town USA, formerly Colorado XO, formerly, 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 formerly. <laughs> but it is an incredible uh, um, game that they play. You can catch it, I believe it's on, well, last year it was ESPN. Um, and it was also, I think, at one stage on uh, the Rugby Network. I'll stay close to find out where we'll be showing and wherever it is, you can assume it's going to be free to view. So take advantage and why not get to be able to see even more rugby than you had uh, asked for or anticipated this season with uh, American Raptors in mind. So, gentlemen, there we have it, an opportunity to be able to share what we think is important, what fans need to know about. Tell us whether you think we forgot about something as a fan by following us under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod and all of our social media platforms. We want to be able to hear from you. We want to share what you want to learn about. So continue to be able to tell us what that might be under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. But before then, stick around because we're going to be back in just a few moments to talk about the new edition of the Charlotte Hawks to USA. Sorry, should I say MLR Rugby? We'll be back. Stick around. All right, and welcome back, rugby fans. We're here to be able to debate the 
main story. This one recently came about through a little bit of turmoil. It's been a turbulent time to be in Major League Rugby. Uh, at one stage, we were at 14, then down to 10. I don't know. It feels like uh, somebody trying to explain to me what is the Big Ten and what is the uh, the conferences in college uh, uh, football because there's never 10 in it. There's 12 in one. There's 14 in the other. Uh, it's a bit of a mess by by all standards. But and and nobody up. nobody in the MLR can keep a secret very well either. That's no, the other thing. I mean, things right. broke on social media, Reddit, et cetera, before we, we had any cool. <laughs> So let me take the moment to be able to identify more clearly for those tuning in what is the topic of debate. So in the fallout of New York, the Arrows, and the change of location and position from Rugby ATL's traditional uh, home across back to L.A., where we get another franchise in an important region, um, there's been a lot going on. And just when we got the schedule released and we knew what we thought we were going to be in for, suddenly there's another curveball and we have to be able to change the calendar again. Why? Because the Charlotte Hawks have arrived. Who are they? Well, for those of you not familiar with this, it is a development program that is identified primarily under 23-year-old players in hopes of creating a platform for them to be able to exceed expectations, get great competition, perform in a professional environment, and eventually represent the United States on the world stage at the 27 Rugby World Cup and 31 on home soil. That was funded in part previously by USA Rugby and also some major league rugby partners. Now with the backing of World Rugby, which is really none of this is going to happen without extra money, usually what it comes down to, and who is providing the piggy bank sources? World Rugby, not only for this season, but for seasons to come is the understanding. So we got longevity in mind. And the Hawks are going to be no longer solely a development program, but they're going to be a fully-fledged member of Major League Rugby, competing as any other franchise would. However, they do have some challenges, and they do have some other long-term goals that they need to achieve to satisfy the investment from World Rugby, USA Rugby, and Major League Rugby itself. The gentleman here between Rob and John, I am going to steer a few questions your way. You're going to give us your opinion as we do week after week here on the Rugby Rant. And I want to hear from you guys what you think. And first off, John, here's the first prompt. Development versus immediate impact. A lot of people online have already said, is the focus going to be that they're going to be a competitive team? Are they going to come out guns blazing? Are they going to just be cannon fodder for every other MLR side and easy points on the board because they're fielding a very young team and their focus is not about winning a league, but by growing a team to represent the USA. So development versus immediate impact, where do you stand? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think some of the point of views are correct. They're just kind of weird where it's like that development and competing are two separate entities. Like you can't develop and be competitive and want to win at the same time. That's a really weird thought process that I see online all the time. Like if I'm developing guys to go play for the national team and win a world cup, I'm developing them to win rugby games. So it's kind of same to these. Now, if your argument is 
will they be competitive and have an impact? Um, my gut's going to say no, because for all the reasons that are right in front of us, one, it's very late. However in the world, they're going to find 35 under 23-year-old U.S. eligible players able to move to Charlotte, North Carolina in the next couple of months and or leave their current MLR teams. Good on you, whoever is their GM and player development guy and whoever's doing their housing. My God, good luck to you. must be doing a good job of recruiting me if they got it right. <laughs> yeah, whoever, whoever's doing their housing, my God, good luck to you. Those are some of the side stuff, but hmm. uh, the development piece, I think, is very attainable. The impact and competitiveness is going to be very difficult. I mean, we've seen... MLR teams with professionals and full grown men mm-hmm. struggle in their first couple seasons. We've seen, we, you know, I just was a part of one that was, <laughs> call it, you could call it a struggle. I mean, everyone could have their own interpretations of a struggle, but we didn't, we didn't reach expectations as a team. That's for sure. Right. And that was a team full of professionals, internationals. Right. And, and experienced but the point players. is, you know exactly what an inaugural season looks like having done it. Right. And not, even when you put the right pieces together, the puzzle doesn't always fit. So the if if their expectations are that, you know, they're competing for a championship, I think that's a little bit silly. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't take I don't take right. Scott I don't take Scott Lawrence as like a BS coach talk guy. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's gonna be up on the board. Um I think if there are development criteria and things that they're going to go by and stand by and set realistic goals and expectations and what they want to see. Yeah, of course they're going to accomplish that. No doubt. Let me throw this back at you. Realistic in your mind, let's put your coach's hat on for a moment. You're in the, in the chair of Scott Lawrence. If he chooses to even take that chair, it's still debated. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say is realistic? What would be a measurement of success in year one? I mean, you've been through it. You've had these conversations with the house. It would, it wouldn't. I bet there would not be one point of conversation about wins and losses. Yeah, not one. I, I I would, I would not doubt that for a second. There wouldn't be even a discussion about wins and losses. Uh It would be seeing what you got, what they're capable of, and where they can go, and then you've got to plan that out. So, just kind of realistically, you're talking about defensive strategies and executions line out technique style and expectations scrum technique you know build a team build something that's got more than one year's vision you know right you've got long long long-term things of establishing using this to establish a defensive attack and line out based uh strategy or style that's going to academy develop itself into the national team right right so yeah, let's all circle back around to what you originally said when i said development versus uh immediate impact and you said well it's kind of a weird conversation because obviously any team that's developing or you knew wants to be competitive they want to make an impact that's how you measure if your development is working so you're saying that both those things align because it's the first season it doesn't matter like what team it is you're going to want to try to make an impact, but you're not cutting wins and losses as your impact. Right. Uh, and, and I, I want to follow that up too. Like some, some people may take this wrong. That doesn't mean they're going to walk into film on Monday after giving mm-hmm. up probably 45 to 50 points against San Diego or whoever they play in the first game and right, be like, right. 
no worries, boys. We're going to get better and develop. So don't feel too bad about like those conversations. (laughs) Yeah. I just thought you guys were all out there and had fun. Like those conversations are not going to happen. Like they're not going to be happy about that. But they're also not going to walk in like, hey, hey, we just just got to do our job and be on the field and you're going to beat San Diego. That's also silly. It's like, hey, you're going to have to do every single thing that we've told you to do right and not make mistakes for 80 minutes and we might have a shot to win it, which is a marginally impossible task for every single rugby team that's ever stepped on a field. Um, but here's the criteria. Here's what we want to see from you. Right. And it makes sense. And to sum it up for our fans tuning in here, it sounds to me like you're saying that the development goals aligns with your first season goals anyways, which is to be able to play good looking rugby to learn from every opportunity, to be able to grow your team, work on the basics, build continuity, so they are aligned with each other. Will they make an immediate impact to be able to be in a playoff run and possibly a title run? That's not the expectation in the year one for most teams, so why would it be put upon this team? You know? Rob, what have you got to share? So I think Scott Lawrence is with this is playing the long game. You know, it's really about development. And I agree with John. It's not like they want to sit there and look losses that they have, and they will have them uh, in the face and go, all right, here's a trophy for you. Good job. Here's a trophy for you. They're not going to do that. But there is a long game. Um, breaking news here. This was in the works better part of a year ago. When we lost the opportunity to play in the World Cup in 2023, mm-hmm. there was a plan in place and initially the hawks were brought about and there was talk and discussion don't forget they played some exhibition games against you know uh, uh super rugby americas i believe the the idea was either get into super rugby americas with a team or get into the mlr with a team but the idea was we've got to have these young players playing at least 16 games a season together in addition to some international competition branded as, you know, the the Falcons or branded as U23 Eagles or whatever they're going to be branded as, doesn't matter. Um, we've got to get them playing, you know, 20, 30, you know, 20 games together or minimum a season. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that will be a core of guys. And will there be guys, you know, coming in and out for the international components? Yes. But we want to establish a brand of rugby. We want to have a pattern of play. We want to have a style of play. All the things that John talked about. Uh, and I think that's the that's part of the long game, right? Um, now, what I believe is going to happen is, yes, they're going to bring in those young guys. But I believe that they're going to bring in some of those guys um, that have Eagles experience that are long in the tooth. I don't know if Nate Brakely has the person. That, I mean, he's not. He's. I mean, John probably knows Nate better than better than any of us here. But, uh, but <laughs> USA, USA experience long in the tooth. Long in the tooth, but he's the type of guy that they might be able to recruit and come back and go, hey, Nate, give it on. one more year. I'm doing And I'm we doing need hot. you. We, we, Charlotte, we Charlotte's need really you. hot summer. I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> so, you know, we need you to come in and That's we need you to, to provide that. You know, Sean, cool. <laughs> let's not forget he was he was the he was a captain of the Eagles uh here most recently. And we need you to come in and we need you to establish a leadership, you know, some leadership principles. We need to have you establish some leadership style. We need, you know, some veterans in here that are going to ingrain these young guys into the Eagle 
system and the ego way of playing. And so, uh, you know, I think there are guys out there. It's to me, it's a shame that this didn't happen sooner. Like it wasn't announced in July on the heels of the final yeah. or on the heels in August of the MLR draft to where, you know, okay, by happenstance, New York, uh, you know, falls apart. Now they can take a guy like Butch and bring him in. He's certainly a leader on the, on the Eagles that would, that would steer that ship the way they want to go. I believe they're going to try to find that mix, right? So don't be surprised if this isn't just made up of U23 guys and these young guys that they have an eye on being in the mix for 2027. I believe that they're going to use some of the vets involved to really ingrain the style of play that's and the attitude that Scott wants to establish in this. So I'm so glad that you brought this up though, because it's already walking straight into the next theme that I wanted to touch on, which is leadership. Um, and you spoke about this, not only is it on, uh, on the field, but also, you know, in, in the, uh, the administration and also in the coaching style. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to be able to look at, but t- team identity and leadership are, are very much linked. So the identity of the team up until now has been suggesting that it's the development side. And how it originally existed is mostly 23-year-old and under players because that perceived as the generation is going to take you on to 27 and to on to 31. Definitely a lot of great uh, uh, merit behind that. But as Rob pointed out a moment ago, in order for you to make an impact and also to be able to get the right leadership that nurtures that generation, next generation, you need to have some experience. So certainly they might go shopping for those players that you pointed out, Rob, and, and those that fit that bill similar to that, that are available to be able to take up a position like that. John's taken phone calls left, right, and center already, he says. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and Scott Lawrence has been has been a logical choice uh, being at the helm for USA Rugby to be able to take this on. He's got major league rugby experience, formerly at rugby ATL, his key partner and also as the head coach. Um, he's got an USA rugby experience, the development level with the U20s. So if he chooses that, it's a natural fit. If he doesn't choose to take that, we're going to see who will be the head coach, but I'm sure he'll be very heavily involved. They've still got to put together a coaching complement, um, although the identity of the team is, is, uh, is identified as the Charlotte Hawk, playing from uh, uh, Charlotte, um, there's great facilities there. They've got a stadium that they previously used, which we assume will be their home for the future as well, although it hasn't officially been announced. I can't remember the name of that stadium. America's, uh, um, anyways, doesn't make a difference right now. Um, so they need to be able to get, now that they're in MLR side, some sort of fan engagement, sell some seats, get some, uh, some money coming back. Because not only can you imagine that USA and World Rugby and the MLR partners are putting money into this, they're seeing it as an investment. And all investments have to pay out at some point. Uh, they have to show dividends at some point. We can measure that in different ways. Let's put it out on the table here. Team identity and leadership and also measuring some of these successes when it comes to those two things. John, what are some of the thoughts that you have around identity, fan engagement, and also leadership? Um, yeah, the, I don't, the fan engagement and developing that, I have no idea. It's how much are they, I guess, here's my thing. How much are they going to embrace being the Charlotte Hawks, not the U23 Hawks? Cause you have to do that. If you want to sell tickets, I'm sorry. You can't, you can't, 
I don't know what marketing guy can fake sell a faux U23 versus other pro team games for teams to come to. Charlotte people will go see Charlotte sports. I would assume you can sell that. So they got to embrace the Charlotte Hawks. Please don't have red, white, and blue colors. I just don't think it will. It's just not going to work because then you're not the Charlotte Hawks. You're the Hawks. That's true. Uh, Really have that if – okay, perfect. (laughs) that was a fake one whatever whatever one we already have too many red white and blue team say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill it's not that that's a bad thing but we already have to <laughs> and then you're not the charlotte hawks the the u23s the u20s right, can be gonna the, have their own identity their own brand or the Condor or yeah. pick some cool bird who cares you gotta be the charlotte hawks and you gotta embrace that while if you're sticking to your basis of the core principles of the team as u.s eligible only players and all that by hell, you could sell that for sure. No yeah. question. And that's uh, something that a lot of people have been waiting for, right? For, for one team to be able to stand for up. For a team to work. step up and do that, I think that's yeah. that's awesome. As Obviously, yeah. as a born and bred American. But, but team is at, a, at a core development as a focus. So this yeah. is a positive shift. And, and one that probably suits the MLR better than they might admit. So if they do that, I think they could possibly have some success. If they don't, and somehow... Mm-hmm. Because, you know, to that point, though, even if I'm not a Charlotte fan, I could still very well be a fan of the Hawks because of that philosophy. Right. American players first. Yeah. Yeah. If you're on the fence as an MLR fan or you live in Atlanta and don't know anyone to root for, pretty easy to get on board with that one. Sorry, Atlanta. That was a shot fired. There's another great opportunity to to think about, okay, well, we've got fans here. We've got a community not that far away. That maybe we should try to find ways to be able to build rugby ties and, and bring them over as fans to the Hawks. Um, Potentially, so opportunities to do that. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested. I'm very interested to see how they go with that. I, I obviously want it to be successful, but there's a mm-hmm. lot of ways it could go wrong. So they got to get it right. Right. Here's one of the other things that I, you know, uh, I would like folks to be able to think about. Not only is, is the goal here, I would believe, to be able to create players that eventually would represent USA on the highest levels. We know that's a vision. We know that's a goal. They've come out right and said that. But it's also an opportunity for, for American rugby to be able to say, we can actually make a business and run a profitable franchise. We can learn the administration. We can budget. We can create a franchise because essentially this is a branch, and you know, in a way of what USA Rugby is. You know, you've got USA Rugby coaches that are going to be used, USA Rugby potential players that are going to be used, mostly American eligible or, or will be eligible with, uh, within the next few years, most likely. Um, so it's an important opportunity for them to be able to say, hey, we can run a budget properly. We can produce a good result on the field and also off the field. So there's a lot of great ways to be able to do this because it's one of the criticisms with USA Rugby is that when they get money, they spend it unwisely and they don't get the great results. So here's your chance. Here's your way to be able to show everybody again that you can do something good with it. 
what you're given. Rob, I'm sorry I jumped a little bit further along there, but I hand it over to you now. I want to address two things. One of them touches a little bit upon that viability piece and the long-term elements that come that that are sustainable through you know funding and through commercial partnerships and ticket sales and all that other stuff. But I want to address something first. You you talked about uh, the team identity and leadership. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw some names at you. Okay. Uh, and these are names that have always been close to Scott and, you know, John, uh, you probably had some conversations with Scott or at least I have some familiarity with them. Um, but, uh, Brendan Keene is a guy that's been in the mix, uh, worked with Scott heavily in the past, Brandon Sparks. Um, he's you know, currently in the, the, the women's development, um, and identification process with USA rugby. Uh, so he's already in the USA rugby mix. Uh, Neith Greeling, somebody we've had, uh, and we've had Brandon on the Sparks. Oh, he had the show. You know, he followed Scott from when Scott left ATL and then Scott uh, got the USA job. He followed him up to be with the Hawks when they moved up to Charlotte and started kind of this newest, uh, well, the the last iteration of the Hawks that started, you know, uh-huh. uh, with this youth movement and U23s, et cetera, there in the spin, you know, in 2023. Um, and then imagine Jimmy Harrison's got to be involved in some way, probably not on a real overt way, but probably involved in, in a lot of the, um, um, the, the video analysis because he's doing it for USA Rugby. So those are guys that I would expect to be in the mix at some point in some way, somehow, some form, some fashion, uh, you know, just with the leadership. I don't think Scott is going to be the head coach of this team. I think he's got enough to worry about going around the country, going and visiting MLR teams, watching different players play in order to make, you know, and identify um, guys that he wants on his roster that are playing a style and able to play the style that he's looking for. He's going to be going around to, you know, sevens programs. And, um, you know, I I know he's out at various, uh, you know, events this summer. Uh, So, you know, he's got his hands full there. And I know one thing about Scott, it's something that he and I have talked about actually before, and he he likes to develop coaches underneath him. He's not afraid mm-hmm. to develop a guy that is going, that he has kind of said he wants him to take his job, right? right. He's working on around you to be successful. Right. You put those Lord people so that you can step away when you're ready. You mm-hmm. know that you're putting it in good hands and you're leaving something in a good place better than when you got it and you're going to see it get better from when you leave it. So I, I know that's Scott's mantra. So I just don't think he's going to be involved in a, um, at, at least in a hands-on way from a head coaching standpoint. Now here's one thing I want to break, make, make a point of, and this is one of my concerns about the Hawks endeavor. I don't get me wrong. I love the idea. Uh, I think it's necessary for the growth of USA rugby with an eye in 2027 and 2031. My issue is in execution um, and so I'm going to go to the fact that what's funding this is not a traditional ownership style in the, like what's in typical yeah. in the MO. It's being funded in large part by world rugby money. My concern is unless those commercial partnerships, unless those things that John talked about, unless you get a great fan, fan base, that's paying, you know, putting butts in seats, you won't be able to a be sustainable without you uh, world rugby, or mm-hmm. b find if you don't find success, you won't be able to find an owner out there that's willing to take up the slack for world rugby, and therefore 
that's my big concern is that this, you know, is there a sustainability without world rugby, right? And yeah. we know world rugby Absolutely. is incredibly fickle, right? As soon as they're disinterested, their money goes away, right? And so this team, that's going to be one of their long-term challenges. Finding that that sustainability, financial sustainability, so that they can continue to be a part of the MLR and they can continue to to, to allow that development that John talked about mm-hmm. in the first segment to happen in a natural path as we get closer to those big earmarks in 27. Right, and I think that that's going to be some of the toughest challenges. Um, we're confident in the player development, the coaching staff, the infrastructure, the logistics. They will have that because they've got experience yeah. in that. Where they don't have experience is developing a brand from nothing, which is what they're doing. It materialized overnight. Like well, coming from through from here and there. What, remember, it, it, Scott it, it, was it. involved in branding with ATL, so I, I he was GM and coach of that of that organization. So right. you know, he does have experience there, and I think he's gonna. I mean, while he won't have a direct hands on, as I said, he, he, well, he sure he's going to put a stamp on things. Right, right, sure, okay, but he's not going to be the guy doing it every day. So no. who's going to be there is the next question. And are they going to be able to follow through? Are they going to hit the metrics? Because World Rugby doesn't give you any money without any strengths. Um, no, so there's no. going to be metrics no. that have to be hit along the way. 100%. Right? So, but if there's, so, a, if there's a guy, and that's where I think he's going to be involved, right, is, is what, are the, what are the, you know, um, uh, what are the goals? What are the objectives? What are the, what do they call them? RTIs, uh-huh. no, or uh, um, RPK. Uh, yeah, ROI, whether return investment, but also uh, KPIs, you know. Um, so he's going to establish those for the staff, for the coaching staff, for the organization as a whole, and go and hold people. I get that. The you know, he's the CEO. He doesn't have to. He's the captain. He doesn't have to know where the navigator puts, uh, you know, the dot on the map. But we need to know that we head in the same direction. Um, and, and certainly that is a goal, but this circles back around to something that I said before, and, and you, you've now gone even more in depth in it. Not only is this, in my opinion, an opportunity to be able to grow American talent, to be able to take on the, the higher honors, but it's an opportunity to grow as an organization as well um, through developing brand building exercises, you know, marketing tools, a, a channel that is sustainable through revenue in several different streams. Not only through merchandising, not only through ticket sales, but of course to make this a profitable business. Because rugby, where it fails, not only here in the US, but everywhere, is when you treat it like a business, right? And I say that because no, no sport can survive without revenue. And you can't continue to ask for handout. And as you pointed out, world rugby is incredibly fickle. You might be their favorite nephew right now, but you can certainly fall out of favor as quickly yeah. as you fall into favor. And uh, you've got maybe four or five years to get this right. Let's be generous and say that they're going to continue funding this until the end of the next year's, uh, sorry, next World Cup cycle before they evaluate again, right? Or there's another presidency or another person put in charge of that development program and they have a different opinion. So much like any other MLR franchise, you need to prove your work and prove that it's sustainable inside of three to five years. Yeah, and, and nobody understands world rugby at least from american perspective better than scott he gets it he knows he knows all those things he knows what the expectations are and he knows the challenges of uh uh, of dealing with world rugby just in terms of their finances and and sustainability 
Um, so like I, I've always been a big believer in him. I will continue to be a big believer until he proves me wrong, but <laughs> everything he's done, he's done well. And he's met, met the benchmarks that he sought to meet. So I have no doubt that this will, will be the same. Mm -hmm. I, my concerns come from another area, which we can mm -hmm. get into yeah. further down this Before conversation. Before we transition out of this one and into our final piece, uh, I was just looking at another piece uh, of information here. America's Rugby News, obviously a wonderful resource for American rugby fans, North American rugby fans in general. Um, they suggest that while most teams in the U.S., I think it's 10 is the limit for a game day roster of internationals. I might be wrong, but I believe it was 10. Um, yeah. They're suggesting that they will not exceed six is what uh, they got. So, you know, that's four less than what you would see. So obviously you can expect six internationals on the starting day roster for the Hawks. That's where that experience is going to come from. Now, you need to be able to have a little bit of this. But I think that when they say international, it means that, yes, they can be international, but the focus might very well be that they're having internationals who have not yet qualified, but may very well qualify before the next round of World Cups is due. Exactly. And, and there's got, you know, so I think back, you know, a couple of years ago, a guy like, you know, Brad Tucker, a guy like uh, Reichert Hatting, you know, guys yes. that were. Guy, um, you know, guy like uh, a gentleman you played with, Michael Duvall, you know, um, that were all kind of in that process to get that five-year earmark. You know, they're look, they're going to identify guys who have been here for three and four years, mm -hmm. or who, young guys who they can, you know, they can build towards that, you know, towards that benchmark that that time, you know, five-year time frame. Um, by the time you know 2027 hits, so that's where I would see those six players coming into play more in right. that and regard. That makes than, sense to me. Yeah, then bringing in you know Matt Getto, right? Right. Although you know I can I can forgive one or two key positions because of experience and you want to remain competitive in the league, but if you can avoid it, I would choose to do that because there is enough talent. And, and, you know, recently I read an article and it was actually a wonderful opportunity to be able to see how you turn lemons into lemonade. Um, and New Zealand is looking to quickly follow this. Um, South Africa at one stage in its history did not allow any overseas-based player of South African nationality to be selected for its national side. New Zealand still has this policy. Well, guess what? Uh, that was lifted some years ago with the help of Rossi Erasmus, wonderful genius that he is, or, you know, you may consider him an evil genius something. for some. Right? Some, like, if you call him an evil genius or a genius, either way, same thing for us. So why I bring it up, though, Ninaba, who, of course, uh, was, was representing uh, uh, South Africa at this last World Cup alongside Rossi Erasmus, now taking up a uh, coaching spot in Ireland, was interviewed and he said actually this was a really really good thing mm -hmm. for for rugby not only did they gain experience elsewhere but what it allowed was domestically for players to fill those spots and get more opportunities mm -hmm. and more game time and to finally identify a lot more talent than we might have overlooked and then might not have had that chance to play on the best domestic stage that we have available to us so instead of being able to have one guaranteed pick for each position they were spoiled and had three or four good options for each position. That's where you want to be in America. That's why you want to have more starting players of American origin or eligibility as often as possible. Sure. The only big difference is they they have the 
full complement of kids playing and developing through the system. You know, got, and you talked about it. Yeah, like yes, Ty's but, talking but, about. but you're not going to get there if you don't set it up that way, right? So what I'm suggesting what? is if you continue chick, to be chick, able to chicken play, chicken out of the air. Yeah. Yes. But there's enough guys to be able to, to, to create. Maybe that won't be as competitive as every other team, but this is the right team to be able to do it with is what I'm getting at. Okay. Yeah. So gentlemen, I, yeah, we're going oh, sorry, down. Right. We're going down a different path. I've got too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> I want to be able to turn our attention to the last part, which is long-term impact on USA rugby. Um, we've already touched on some of these points. We've spoken about the coaching. We've spoken about picking players of uh, American origin or eligibility. Um, we know that that has an opportunity to be able to create uh, uh, chances for players to represent the U.S. for the 27 and 31 Rugby World Cups. Let's again try and talk big picture with this. John, your final thoughts. How does this impact the future of USA Rugby? Um, yeah, I think with everything we discussed about, I there's got to be a net positive no matter what. Uh, if you're getting more guys playing more good games, um, the level or depth that 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 will be, it will remain to be seen. Um, the one thing that we kind of Rob kind of touched on, we touched on it a little bit that I, that I'd like to see that may if we really want to talk like big picture and development is who are the coaches going to be? Are they going to be U S coaches, which I know you can't, you know, we don't use the term U S eligible coaches because coaches come in every other country. Coaches come from all over, but we don't have the benefit of having so many coaches. They have to go overseas for other jobs. I, I'd love to see, as they're embracing this whole thing is that we're, we have American coaches and guys that are from here and grew up here. And if I'm being completely honest, are going to stay here and keep that knowledge going, whether it be an MLR job or a college job or whatever job they have after this, they keep that going. And we get to the point where we have so many American coaches coaching that we start filtering out and becoming that group. Yeah. Once you have a surplus, you're in a pretty good position. Right. <laughs> and it's, you know what I mean? Like I've learned a ton from every international player, international coach I've had. I appreciate all of them. Um, but I'm lying if I don't want to say that there isn't something in me of why I have to have, an international coach to be properly coached. I don't, I don't like that, that that's an accepted fact right now. So I think besides the development of the players, another challenge for them, if they would embrace it is the ability to develop more coaches and have us coaches in these head coach, forward coach, defense coach roles, academy. Well, it already is kind of an academy, so you can't have an academy coach, but, um, yeah, I would love to see that. I'd love to see all American coaches. It's you know, Rob mentioned if that's kind of another one of Scott's things of developing coaches, I think this should go right along with that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's like you know, the future of American rugby is not only on the field, but off the field as a concept and nurturing one generation is not only extended to to the players, 
Um, but the coaches and also, you know, officiating, you know, you need to be able to let the quality of all of those, you know, referees, everybody, it should be, um, there should be more opportunities at all levels to be able to nurture American um, rugby players, coaches, everybody. And, and you, you pointed out a moment ago, is that it's not like you're eligible, but you want to make sure that they, even if they're not originally from the U.S., that they plan to stay here and continue their rugby in the U.S. You know, right. I, like I, I would, I would think of, of like names like Robbie dropped some names. I'd say like a Kyle Sumption or a Sean Davies. You yes. know, Sean's Kyle, like yeah. Sean's like like Sean's like point eight five at this point. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. You know, he yeah. barely even he barely speaks Afrikaans. He's been here for no. years. <laughs> He's like point eight five American. Well, I swear. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you know when you put when you put your your rugby career most of your time into the right. US, you can say that you are a supporter of American rugby. You were out there, right. Davies himself played it, coached it, you know, assisted the game in growing in some way, left it better than where he found it, and that's the main principle, the underlying message there. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you if you stack it in all different categories. With those type of people, the future of USA Rugby will be bright because you're putting the right people in the right places. We're going to stick around and put in the work. Right. Rob, what have you got? Um, okay, long-term imp- uh, impact on the United States. Well, again, I, I, I think the key is are we going to have a funding model that's going to go beyond and live beyond world rugby? I think that's that's mm-hmm. a key and critical question. Is there a pathway to get free of world rugby's teat in this particular case? I think that's a critical question that hopefully is being mapped out or at least being addressed in some way. Um, on the coaching end, uh, I want to be clear, and I and I I get what John is saying. Like when we talk about an American coach, we're not necessarily talking about born and bred in America. I mean, obviously that's ideal, and we want to see that continue. John's a great example of that, doing his own great work in Iowa. Um, but like, here are some examples like Taylor Howden is a guy who's coaching, who's been here, who was with, I think the aviators or something like that born in New Zealand. But you know, as when I say American, he's been in the United States, committed to the United States rugby, uh, been here, not going anywhere. Um, he understands the American rugby culture. So a guy like that, Nate Osborne, in the same and kind of in the same mold. I'm not saying those are necessary guys that I want to see developed into this system. I'm just throwing out examples of guys who are, although foreign born, are still considered American coaches because they've been they've developed, they're committed to it, and they're developing here in the and want to see American rugby uh, become developed. Um, but don't be surprised if we don't see. Somebody of note, um, man this ship, somebody who can bring um, some panache, somebody who can bring international eyes, somebody who can bring a professionalism to help these young guys along. Okay. Who's the coach that just got fired? (laughs) Well, (laughs) we can't afford him. You're out of your mind. But but, yeah, I. I agree in general with John, like, look, I don't care if they're foreign born or not, as long as they're committed Mm -hmm. to staying here and developing here and going to pass out knowledge along to American coaches who are going to be at the youth levels, who are going to be at the college levels. So we can see that those, 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 you know, 
the, 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 the hard thing about getting an international is, is that you know that they're only going to be here for a short while. So you need right. to soak up as much as you can in as short a time as possible. Um, Heineken Mayer going into Sabercats is an example, right? Who's made it committed. Uh, Kuma as well, coach, two South African coaches brought on. And as a result, their influence in that team is predominantly South African. So it does bring an influence with it. Sure. But it doesn't always suit American rugby or help American rugby. And I'm not picking on, on the Sabercats here. I'm not. Right. Yeah. If, if, if for some yeah. reason they're tied with the Sabercats, you can't are broken, they're going, they're going back home. But like Emil Walton is a guy who has been here, mm-hmm. who has brought that that foreign understanding and foreign influence, and who's committed to developing that. He did it down in right. Louisville. He's been with Nab Sevens, you know. Um, uh, you know, so but both uh, of those guys, but all those examples were here in America in the rugby community before getting a position of that nature. If you're suggesting somebody is getting a position to come in from outside just to fill that role. I don't think it has the roots to it. I don't think it has the, the community reach. I don't think it has that. It's going to be more like the same pattern that we've seen before. And that's why I'm saying yeah. I think there's got to be a development. Uh, it's got to be somebody who's being will is willing to be committed to right. development. Do you, do you wanna you wanna uh in my, in my opinion? If if it's an outside guy, which right, you want a Mike Friday and not a John Mitchell. Yeah, that's all I'm asking. Yeah, one of my if if you're coming in to do the Hawks, I need a right. Mike Friday Great commitment. I don't need a John Mitchell. Correct. Agree. One hundred percent. Somebody who's going to be here for the long run. Yeah, right? you're not and, using and it for your role. next job. Right. right, right, and and you know, did you play for Mitchell? No, I was in I was in uh, boot camp or basic training, airborne school, and medic school during his stint. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Slightly different pathway. <laughs> but I mean, and I don't like I don't even and I'm not saying I think John Mitchell was a damn good coach. We at least scored points when he was our coach. It was awesome. I was watching and I was watching on my laptop and we scored like 40 points for the like the first time in US history, probably. <laughs> but but the thing is it's like they have a they have a purpose at the right place in the right time, and there's always you know a tool for every job, right? But, but the set of tools that we now need to be able to put together needs to have longevity in mind. I personally would be disappointed to be able to have, to hear that somebody from completely outside of USA rugby, um, doesn't really have a lot of deep connections to it or deep insights, comes in with an international influence and shares what they think we need to do, which is how it's always been done before. Most recently, Gary Gold is an example. Uh, again, not casting shadows or, or, or throwing stones, but they were not the results that we wanted. And a lot of the times people criticize it because uh, uh, it wasn't an American coach. You didn't understand the American rugby culture or the climate or those things. All of that aside. Style, style of play. Style of play. You, yeah. you can pick a number of things, right? That why it wasn't. So, And we've got more examples going further years back. So why would we choose to repeat that if we are going to? I'm just the, saying, the only doing the same thing, I'd be disappointed if it didn't. Yeah, the only thing I would say is that you can bring a guy like that in if then you have pieces around him that can uh-huh. kind of bolster up all the all the elements you're talking about. You know, understanding U.S. rugby culture, but that's everything being able to. Gary Gold had a coaches uh, who were all American backs. 
had already been done. And it's yeah, but we're, that's at the nat. But you're talking about at the national team level, right? We're, right. This, we're, we're talking about it. We're talking about a, a, a slightly different entity. I mean, you're, you're you right. still have Scott Lawrence at the top of that eagle at the at the at the helm of the Eagles. Okay, I I, I, I see what you're saying. You're saying it's the same, but not the same. But right. it's kind of the same. Right. <laughs> There's only there's only one international coach I want, and he would never do it. I'm curious, and who would that be? Yeah, uh, Ronan Ogara. Okay. There's nothing. I've I said this for a long time. I will say it forever. Our fascination here with Southern Hemisphere rugby is not us. Oh, you mean we're also not we're also not England. We're definitely not South Africa. I was like, the closest nation we are to rugby, as no American likes saying this, but I'll say it, is France. The way they play and how they play, the mixtures that they have of cultures, mm -hmm. ethnicities, and backgrounds in that country that are brought together on a rugby field, and the styles that they bring of like their mix-match French style is the closest person USA rugby should mirror in the world. We're never going to be New Zealand. We're not going to be South Africa. We're not going to be this bastardized version of both of them put together. The closest well, thing you guys and Ogara, Ogara brings that Irish strict mm. discipline right. brought into the French flair at La Rochelle mm. and has done it beautifully. He would be our magical coach. Not that I want Scott replaced. Nobody get mm -hmm. mad at me, Scott. You're a great guy. On your top of your wish list. I'm just saying wish list. Of obviously, he's not going to leave. La Rochelle to coach the Charlotte Hawks, but I'm just saying. That's yeah, maybe won't rugby pocket. That's my like golden goose. Okay, I like that. I like that. Well, it remains to be seen, and uh, perhaps you know the whispers across the rugby communities will reveal who it may be, as we know that it's a very tight knit community and one with loose lips because secrets don't stay secrets for long in American rugby. So we will certainly come to learn shortly who that may be um, and what the makeup will look like in terms of the coaching staff. And as we get closer to solidifying some more of these details, we'll continue to be able to share with you here as the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. As you know, we aim to grow rugby one fan at a time. And at the core is always you, the fan. And we will continue to be able to share as much information whenever we get it week after week here on this show with the help of, of course, Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, myself, Ty Brogger, and on behalf of John Cullen, again, pleasure to be able to have you with us. Thank you very much again for joining us, and uh, perhaps we will see you lace up one more time. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, Charlotte's every, still knocking, right? <laughs> everything going to trade that hat in for the East Coast hat? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever it may be, man, we will support you. Oh, yeah, maybe this is, this is my hint. Yeah. Come back. <laughs> I really, I really, you just, you just love staring the pot, though, don't you? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Uh, everything, everything hurts. My couch is nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So once again, fans, it has been a tremendous opportunity to be able to spend this time with you talking about American rugby, what we do here week after week. As I said before, it's continue to grow rugby one fan at a time. And all of that is with your help. So again, thank you for tuning in to episode 158 of the Rugby Rant Podcast. And we will see you at the next.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.